The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we can learn to use them in new and powerful ways to create the life we've always dreamed of. On our program today, with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon, we'll address who you are, how to come to know what you believe and why, how to accept and love yourself, and how you can make changes that help you create the empowered, happy, successful life you want. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. What a delight it is to have you with us today. We broadcast from today, rainy Scottsdale, Arizona. It's absolutely wonderful and amazing to have rain on this dry desert. Um, I want you to take a look. If, you have, if you're in front of your computer, and you must be, take a look at the self-improvement blog today. There you'll find, as usual, a bio and a picture of today's guest. You'll also find a review of his book, The Art of Waging Peace. Um, you'll see some videos of Paul in the right sidebar, and there's just an awful lot of other good stuff on there, too. So take a look at theselfimprovementblog.com. It's sort of the mothership for this show, and you'll see a lot about the show there as well. One of my earliest memories is of the Second World War. See, I told you I was old. We had air raids when I was in the first grade, and I remember having to crawl under my desk in case planes came to bomb us. We were taught how to cover our heads, how to get as far under that desk as we could. And we had blackouts and emergency drills, rationing, and an always present fear of attack. When we went to the movies, they had the big cannons trained on us. I still see those sometimes in my mind, and it always scared me as a child. Um, After that, we had Korea and Vietnam and what seems like war after war after war. There's been little time in my lifetime that we haven't been involved in a war somewhere. I tried to get some figures, the most accurate figures I could find told me that over 77 million have died in war since 1900, and that counts primarily military personnel and does not count most of the civilian fatalities. And it certainly doesn't speak of the numbers of families destroyed or lives disrupted or ruined. You know, we talk a lot about peace, and for some reason, that gets to be really controversial. When we talk about peace, what kind of peace do we mean? You know, if we're talking about the peace that comes after the war, are we talking about the peace of the victor or the peace of the vanquished, which isn't always peace at all? Um, You know, is peace more 
than merely the absence of war? How do we change from a mindset of settling conflict with war to using other measures to avoid it? It's sort of like, how do we get the bully at school to resolve his conflict or meet his needs some other way? Oh, and unfortunately, today we are literally on the brink of war again with Assyria. Now, where, where does this stop? Can it stop? Today, though, we're going to find that there is some hope, some answers to this question. We're going to be talking about waging peace. And we have with us Paul Chappelle. Paul graduated from West Point in 2002, was deployed to Baghdad so he knows what conflict is like firsthand. He left active duty in um, November 2009 as a captain and now serves as the Peace Leadership Director for the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation. He grew up in Alabama, the son of a Korean mother and a half-black, half-white father who fought in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. So he knows what it's like to both receive the brunt of racial prejudice, which is war in itself, and meet war head-on. He's the author of the recently published The Art of Waging Peace. He's been with us before, and it is such a pleasure for me to welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show, Paul Chappelle. Paul, thank you for being with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You've had quite an interesting life. I really tapped into your childhood and understand so much more about what happens to people who are hurt by racial prejudice, and and hurt is such a tiny word for that. Tell us a little bit about yourself. For those who didn't hear you the first time, who is Paul Chappelle? I was raised in Alabama, and my mother's Korean. My father's half white, half black. My My father was in the Army for 30 years, and he fought in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. And my mother, she lived in Japan during World War II, and she lived in Korea during the Korean War. And I graduated from West Point. I was in the Army for seven years. I was deployed to Baghdad, and now I work full-time for peace. And it's you know interesting to me, you know, some of the things you said about learning about peace in West Point, and I want to talk about that a little later. But let's start out by talking about what peace is. What, what is peace to you? So I like to describe peace as an action. And I think that is what peace is foremost, is an action, an activity. And that's why I like to use the phrase waging peace, because the phrase waging peace is a verb. And in the very meaning of that phrase, waging peace, we can tell that peace is something very active, is something that we have to participate in, and it's not just doing nothing. Would you say that, by and large, we are in a state of peace now in this country? I, I think that it's, it's a gray area. It's a continuum. It's like hot and cold. And there's different variations of temperature in different parts of the country. I think that if we look at how the country was 200 years ago, 200 years ago, women couldn't vote, women couldn't own property, women couldn't go to college. I'm half Korean, a quarter white, and a quarter black, and I grew up in Alabama. And the fact that I'm here 
the fact that you're here, we're having this conversation. There's been progress. Black men, they didn't have integrated, they didn't have racial integration in the U.S. military in the early to mid 1940s, and now you can be openly gay in the military. So there has been progress on various issues, and if any American politician today were to say that we should bring back slavery, bring back segregation, women shouldn't be able to vote their own property, people would look at that person like he's insane. But 200 years ago, that's how virtually every politician spoke, and that's how the vast majority of politicians thought. But because of peaceful action, because of the women's rights movement, which is an example of waging peace, peaceful struggle, because of the civil rights movement, because of the the movement for disability rights, because of the movement for workers' rights and child labor laws and all these different peaceful actions, we've made a lot of progress. So I think we're further along than we were 200 years ago, but I think we have a long way to go. So maybe it's like a race, and maybe we're halfway there, maybe we're a third of the way there toward the finish line of justice, but we have made some progress, and if we've made some progress, why can't we make more progress? And the way you put it, it's it sounds like we've made tremendous progress. Yeah. Uh, and the thought comes to me as you were speaking, you know, how did we get in this place in the first place where people of different color were not considered as human as people who are white? How did we get to the place that women are less than men? How you know, how did we come to all of these ideas that some are better. Now, right. what is that, and what keeps us in war? Is it greed? Is it anger? What, what in, on earth keeps us in war uh, on a personal level, I guess, because there's war on a personal level, on a city level, on a national level, on a global level. We have war all around us. Now, right. wh- why do we get into this? Well, the metaphor I like to use, that's a really great question, is when somebody gets malaria or HIV, nobody ever says that's human nature. If somebody gets cancer, nobody ever says that's human nature. There's a diabetes epidemic in this country, and nobody says that's human nature. Virtually everybody is saying we have a diabetes epidemic. What's causing the problem? How can we fix the problem? This is not normal. So you look at any illness, polio, malaria, HIV, cancer, diabetes, people say, this is not normal, how can we fix this? But when violence is concerned, people say, oh, that's just human nature, it's just human nature. And I contend that violence is a lot like illness. There's something that has gone wrong, we can understand it, and we can fix it. So if you go to an African country or if you go to an Asian country, if you go to the United States 100 years ago, when you had these rampant epidemics, there was illness all around. If you look at child mortality before 1900, it was very, very common. Oh, it was high, yeah. Yeah, it was very high, around, around in the U.S., around 20%. But, but there was a problem, and we learned how to fix that problem, make progress. But nobody said, oh, this is just inevitable. Polio is inevitable. Smallpox is inevitable. We're never going to get rid of these problems. We, it, we're, these are always going to be with us. People realized that these were things that we could work to solve, and violence all these different things about violence, trauma, we have to be able to learn how to fix, and we can. And if our job is to promote peace, we have to understand violence and trauma and war the way a doctor whose job is to promote health has to understand disease, illness, and those kinds of problems. 
You talk in your book about, and I'm, I'm, it's not in what I want to um, <laughs> talk about, but it's uh, about trauma. You use a phrase that you describe a certain kind of trauma. Um, I can't find it now, but you know, it, it's a very interesting approach, what underlies the trauma and how it leads to violence. I think about our efforts to... Um, to control guns, but nobody's talking about what makes people pick up the gun and shoot somebody in the first place. Right. Well, when you ask the question why, it challenges our system. And I read a quote. It was a, a person who said, when I help the poor, when I give money to the poor, people call me a saint. When I ask why people are poor, they call me a communist. Exactly. And so so when you ask why are people violent, it challenges our system because if violence is caused by different things that we can change, poverty, lack of hope, despair, trauma, abuse, bullying, if trauma is caused by these different factors, then we have a moral obligation to help make our society better. If we're just naturally violent and this is always going to happen, then that gives justification for weapons manufacturers to make more weapons because they say, you know, this is just human nature. We're always going to be like this. So the best solution is just to have a lot of weapons and protect yourself because we're just naturally going to try to kill each other. And the only reason you're not going to be killed is because we have this enormous military apparatus. So I think it really challenges the existing power structure when you ask the question of why. And Oh, and that's a question most of us ask a lot. It's time for us to go to break. How does time fly so quickly? <laughs> uh, when we come back, we're going to get us to talk more about peace and, and more about your book. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Paul Chappelle, saying stay tuned. We'll be back with more peace. your better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed wealth solutions for the 99 percent is a weekly talk show focused on helping you develop and execute a game plan to build wealth your host paula joy who built a 50 million dollar plus company in less than five years believes it's impossible to be poor in america and he'll show you why with his innovative strategies. Joining Paul as co-host is radio personality Kim Reed, an experienced entrepreneur and corporate leader who's known as the Corporatepreneur. The show is upbeat, fun, and informative. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The challenges facing our teens today mean that more than ever, we need to be there to support them and encourage them. The Dr. Stem Show is here to provide discussions about topics that will help promote healthy relationships, self-image, and success for teens, parents, and the community. Our young people can achieve more in life than they ever dreamed possible. The Dr. Stem Show, hosted by Dr. Stem Malatini, will foster these discussions and encourage your participation. Listen every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. 1 p.m. Pacific, and 9 p.m. GMT on Voice America Empowerment. 
When you think of inspiring women, who comes to mind? Is it a visionary like Oprah Winfrey? Political or legal figures like Hillary Clinton or Sonia Sotomayor? Or how about entrepreneurial business leaders like Meg Whitman? No matter whom you might be thinking of, make sure to add one more to that list. Deanne DeMarco. She's the host of Today's Inspiring Women. Each week, Deanne turns you on to the next rising star in business and leadership and what their successes and challenges have been. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the self improvement show. We're talking today to Paul Chappelle, and we're talking about the art of waging peace, a very important topic, especially for our time now. Um, Paul's a graduate of West Point. Paul, you said you learned about peace in West Point, but we think of West Point as a place where you learn about war. You know, what, what did you learn about peace in West Point? And talk a little bit about the influence of Douglas MacArthur as well, because he was one of your heroes, as I understand it. Well, I, the purpose of the military is to provide peace. That's what the, the stated goal is, and that's why a lot of people join the military is thinking that they're going to make the world more peaceful. If you look at World War II, the objective that many soldiers believed they were serving was stopping Nazi fascism, stopping Imperial Japan, and making the world safer. And when I was at West Point, I learned about the limitations of warfare, and especially in the 21st century, how these new limitations of warfare make war actually counterproductive and not the best way of arriving at a peaceful world. And when I began to study Gandhi and King, I saw how they strategically understood these different issues and how they developed a more strategically effective way to solve these problems, which was through waging peace. Um, You're talking specifically about um, the nonviolent approach uh, well, Gandhi was just a, uh, this wonderful peacemaker, but in your book, and I was surprised to learn this, he also was involved in some wars. Right. I didn't know that. I, you know, I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't know that. And and you you quote, you have a quote. I regard myself as a soldier, though a soldier of peace. You know, right. Gandhi said. Uh, explain what he meant. And and why this concept of being a soldier of peace became so important for you. That's a really good point. Most people aren't aware of that side of Gandhi. Gandhi was a military recruiter four different times, and he was a military recruiter in 1899 for the Bull War, 1906 for the Zulu War, 1914 and 1918 for World War One. The first three times he was a recruiter, he was recruiting Indians to be medics. In 1918, he was recruiting Indians to fight in the infantry. He served in the Born Zulu Wars as a medic 
for the British Empire. He was awarded the War Medal. And he supported Poland fighting Nazi Germany in World War II. And most people don't know, don't know this. In the movie, the very, the very famous Austria-winning film, there's no mention of him ever having been in the military. No, none at all. <laughs> None at all, and, and I, I'll, I'll, t- I'll give a talk, and I'll, I'll speak with peace activists, and I'll ask them if they knew Gandhi was in the military, and maybe, it depends upon the audience, but there's audiences where I'll give a talk, and one or two out of 30 or 40 people knew that, and these are peace activists. And I think is that people have a difficult time reconciling that contradiction. But Gandhi, a lot of his systems, and belief was based upon his military understanding. He realized that activists have to have many of the same qualities as soldiers. He thought activists have to be disciplined. They have to be organized. They have to be courageous. They have to be selfless. They have to be willing to die for a cause. They have to be determined. They have to have all those warrior attributes, but not be willing to kill people. And so Gandhi, that's one reason why he called himself a soldier of peace. He's applying all the military discipline and strategic thinking and organization and planning and courage and persistence and resilience to an objective, but not using the, the method of killing. He's using what he would call the more powerful weapon, which is the weapon of love and truth. You know, it's interesting because the thought came to me while you were speaking that we somehow think that peace just happens. If there's not war, then we're going to have peace, and it doesn't just happen. Somebody has to be working to keep it that way. And actually, all of us should be working to keep it that way. You you make the point that war doesn't protect us from our enemies. You know, why do you say that? Oh, can I read a quote to you about what you just said? Oh, about... you can. <laughs> yes. So here's a quote about how peace just doesn't happen. It's a quote from Frederick Douglass. He was a, a former slave. He said, If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. This struggle may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, or it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never will, it never did, and it never will. And, and the, the evidence that backs up his statement, all of human history supports this. People in power do not give up their power unless people demand change. Exactly. And, and that's, what, that, that's what has to happen. And if, in waging peace is the most effective technique to make that positive change happen. Oh, and no, you asked and about something else? You asked about something I else? I asked about why war doesn't protect us from oh, our enemies. Okay. So... War changes due to new innovations in technology. That's why people don't fight on horseback with bow and arrow anymore, because you have new technology, and that forces war to evolve. So after the rifle was invented and mass-produced, people no longer use swords. After the machine gun was invented, people no longer fought lined up in rows. After the tank was mass-produced, you no longer had trench warfare. So the new technological innovation that has changed warfare more than the invention of the gun is mass media, Internet, television, Mm -hmm. Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, Al Jazeera, international newspapers, YouTube, Facebook. 
So when you kill civilians now, I was watching 60 Minutes and a Marine colonel in Afghanistan, Colonel Cabinet, he said, if you kill two civilians and a thousand Taliban fighters, it's a loss. Because if you kill a couple of civilians, and that's distributed through mass media, that'll increase the amount of resentment and hatred against you. Just as if a foreign country came to our country and killed American civilians, think about how we would react and think about how we have reacted. So we're using a method of conflict resolution where no matter how hard you try not to kill civilians, because of the chaos and confusion of war, you are going to end up killing civilians. And after World War II until today, the majority of people killed in war have been civilians. So that's why we're using drones now, which supposedly don't kill civilians, but they do. And when they but do, they do. Kill, yeah. And when they do kill pregnant women or children or elderly or innocent men, that now is a great recruiting mechanism for Al Qaeda or for any kind of terrorist group. You know, and some of the problem with the media is you really don't know sometimes which side they're on. And right. you get these biased reports, and if, if it's, well, let's just leave it there. You know, you have to sort through to find out what the facts are. And we don't have necessarily just the news. We have somebody's interpretation of the news. And then in some of the media, we have some really strange takes on what happened and and. You know, people don't really check their facts before they put it out uh, in Twitter or Facebook. Or, you know, we have all kinds of opinions going around that have nothing to do with fact. So, you know, how, how do we sort through all this? Is This has got to be a part of waging peace, is knowing what really is going on and, and how, to, how to deal with it, I guess. We're in a totally different time than we were in even the the first second world wars even in korea totally different scene absolutely i i found the the reference to trauma uh in the in the art of waging peace you refer to the labyrinth of trauma that's what i was trying to find and you say that we must remove societal taboos about discussing violent behavior because they prevent us from healing such behavior. And and that's absolutely right. We really can't discuss this. It gets too heated um, on one side or the other or both. And how do we begin to heal? How do we begin to wage peace if we can't even talk about war? Exactly. That's a really good point. I mentioned that one time, and somebody said, well... How can there be taboos around violence? You we see violence on the media. Oh, there are <laughs> all the time. But the thing is, we, there's a taboo around discussing the causes of violence. Just like there's a taboo around discussing the causes of poverty, and it's it's okay to say poverty is bad. But when you talk about why are people poor, it can create a lot of conflict. And so, what we learn about violence from the media, it, a lot of it is just complete distortion. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, he says that basing what we know about violence from watching television and movies is like basing what we know on elephants by watching Walt Disney's Dumbo. He said that's about how accurate films are. And the causes of violence, even if you look at the taboo of how men have to have this machismo, nothing ever bothers them, and men are very sensitive creatures, and men get their feelings hurt. And when they get their feelings hurt, it can make them react in a very 
destructive way, especially if they're not taught how to deal with their emotions and they're taught to channel, uh, bottle everything up. But even that kind of taboo where, and that's just one amongst many different kinds of taboos, I, I think can, can culminate into a lot of different kinds of problems. And it's really important that we begin to be able to talk about it. It's time for us to take another break. When we come back, we're really going to begin talking about how we begin to wage peace. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Paul Chappelle, saying stay tuned. We're going to be peacefully back. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. We let so many outside factors mold and shape our lives. Technology, instant delivery. We live in an on-demand world. What's happened to the compassion, the kindness, a better pace? Listen to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. We'll bring that kindness and compassion back to our world. Our guests come from around the world and will discuss what's being done and what we can do to bring our lives back to order. Might Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Is there a real magic formula for success or is it something more? Does the divine nature within, when activated, become a powerful unified force that catapults an individual to greatness? Join visionary host Sharon Rose Washington, author, empowerment life coach, and energy healer to explore the answer to the big question of why we are here. She'll have amazing luminary guests ranging from business thought leaders to top celebrities. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel, voiceamericaempowerment.com. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's one 888 346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self-improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the self-improvement show. This is Irene Conlon. We're talking to Paul Chappelle today about the art of waging peace. And before we went to break, Paul was talking about men and how sensitive they are. Would you you know, flesh out that thought a little bit more, Paul. Yeah, I think that that can sound very controversial when I say that, but I can offer a lot of evidence. If people doubt that 
men are not sensitive. And I don't recommend anyone do this, but if you go up to a man and just say, I think you're stupid, or I think you're a wimp, men are going to get very angry. And the reason they're angry is they just got their feelings hurt. If you say, I think you're stupid, or if you say something bad about the man's mother, or if you say, you're a wimp, men, they're going to get angry, and it's because their feelings have gotten hurt, and they're responding to that. And if you listen to music, if you listen to rock and roll music, or just most music, it's about men talking about their feelings being hurt. Most of them are love songs, and, and a woman hurt my feelings. And they don't use the, the, the phrase hurt my feelings, but that's really what it's about, is, is men, they're human. And if the whole sticks and stones saying it, it's, it's, it's nonsense with human beings. When people feel disrespected or, or we feel insulted, the anger response is often because we felt some sort of internal pain. And when we have to put up this facade that we don't feel anything, it can lead to all sorts of problems. And a lot of the men who have this very strong outer shell, if you say the wrong thing to them, they'll they'll blow up. It's, Call them Called a wimp. Belcher. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And, and that that's just the reaction to this feeling. And they were not taught how to how to how to vent these, how to deal with these different emotions that we have. No, real men don't cry or eat kish. Well, I, I think it's interesting because if you look at the Iliad, the Iliad, the, the ancient Greek war epic, the men in the Iliad are constantly crying. It's it's kind of startling, and it's. I mean, it's. Uh, well, if you're a, a Christian, you read Jesus wept. Yes, if if you look at yeah. Jesus, if you look at Buddha, if you look at they all Martin did. King Jr. or Gandhi, well, they they have they have compassion. They they uh, they embody more quote unquote feminine virtues such as love and compassion, which the Greeks did not consider to be feminine. The Greeks believed that those were open to both men and women, and this is what the military does. The military turns people into a family unit. The military calls the the military has to utilize love between soldiers to make them fight, but the military calls love camaraderie or unit cohesion, where you have this family empathetic bond between soldiers that makes them willing to risk their lives and sacrifice and die for each other and if we believe that a lot of violence is that, or just naturally violent, when a lot of violence is is people feeling disrespected, people their feelings being hurt, and when your feelings get hurt, when you feel disrespected, if you just think about your own life, most people, if you think about the times when you were most angry, it was because you felt disrespected or you felt insulted. That's typically when we get most angry as humans, is when somebody hurts our feelings or makes us feel disrespected or insulted. And you talk a lot about respect in your book. In fact, you say that respect is the best martial arts defense technique that there is, and you refer to it as the infinite shield. Talk a little bit about the importance of respect in waging peace. So this is something that martial arts recognizes, is that the most human conflict, according to martial arts philosophy, comes from people feeling disrespected. And if you go through life respecting everybody, including your opponent, you dramatically reduce the amount of conflict in your life. And when you do have a conflict, you dramatically improve your ability to resolve that conflict. This is why martial arts teaches you to respect everybody, including your opponent. Because martial arts recognizes that human beings are sensitive creatures. And if somebody feels disrespected, if you look at 
Eastern culture, you might not obey the proper social custom. You might show up late, and somebody feels very disrespected, very insulted, and they'll want to fight you. And when you can convey respect effectively, then you can dramatically reduce conflict. And a lot of disrespect, it doesn't mean the person necessarily gets into a fistfight, but they do become angry or they become hostile, they yell, and it's a reaction of this pain they're feeling from being insulted or being disrespected. And this is something that martial arts has applied into actually a self-defense philosophy. And this also happens on a national level, doesn't it, or international level, when one country feels that they've been dissed by another. Oh, absolutely. You, you, You turn on the television and you see the same behaviors at play on a much larger scale. I mean, for example, the whole thing with the French, when the French didn't support the Iraq War and we were renaming things Freedom Fries and that kind of thing, we felt a lot of Americans felt disrespected by that, by the French, and they felt that... that Well, we certainly certainly returned disrespect (laughs) or disrespect then (laughs) because we were pretty rough on the French, too. Right, right. And we we know this behavior's... True. We know that if a foreign country, if there was a video, if there was a video of of people in the foreign country burning the American flag, we would find that very disrespectful and very insulting, and many Americans would become angry. And so, these kinds of things. The another example is the burning of the Quran that happened. People in in Middle Eastern countries became very angry and found that is very disrespectful. So, these things are applicable to our personal lives and to the international level as well. Now, where where do we start in waging peace? You talk about change. Is that the is that the beginning starting place? Well, I talk about how the waging peace skills is not just for the international level or the national level, it's also for the personal level. It can help us with our families, our communities, our coworkers, our friends. And I think that change the place we have to begin is with ourselves, and it expands outward from there. Yeah, it but comes to... down to the point of be peace, doesn't it? Right. And it comes down almost to training, where a soldier has to train himself and or herself, improve the muscles of the body, and hone their skills, hone their craft, hone their the skills of their profession. And we have to train ourselves to be these warriors of peace, to be active as peacemakers. We have to develop these abilities, such as the ability to calm people down in a hostile situation. That is one of the most important life skills we could have, is how do we calm people down, yet we're never taught how to calm people down, or how to calm ourselves down. That's another important life skill that could benefit us in many different kinds of situations, or how to resolve conflict, or how to listen or how to persuade people. These are very important life skills, and these will help us not just on the larger scale of waging peace, which Martin Luther King Jr. was able to show. You can apply these skills to a very broad level. It will also help us in our everyday personal lives. And I think that's how we get more people interested in waging peace, is showing how it's practical to their everyday lives. And and you talk about this a good bit on in your book, and I thought your book was extremely helpful on all levels, you know, from a personal level all the way up to an international level. You know, bringing this down to today, you know, what what can President Obama do 
to begin to diffuse what, what's beginning to erupt with Syria. Is there a way he can calm them down? Or is there a way, is there something they could do on their end to calm us down? You know, what needs to happen there? Tough question. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Well, I think that the problem there is beyond, for example, what could President Obama do about our own military, our own violent warlike situation and our own way of thinking? All the change has to come from the grassroots. If you look at women's rights, civil rights, the abolition of slavery, it all originated from the grassroots. The president doesn't have as much power as we think the president has. Oh, no, he has very little, actually. Yeah. And, and if let's say the president wanted to put civil rights in the place in 1935. There's no way it would happen. He'd get voted no. out of office. The, they'd get shut down in Congress. It'd be rioting. It requires the popular support to give him the leverage to do that. If the president wanted to give women the right to vote in 1830, it just would have never happened. No. You need the grassroots momentum. And so if you look at how little power the president has domestically without the support of a grassroots movement, and if you look at in an international situation, the president can take military action, but will that cause the de- will that do anything effectively to resolve the underlying problems of that conflict? It might create the appearance of him doing something, and the it might create the appearance of some sort of action that something's happening. But if you look deeper, does it really do anything to solve the underlying causes of that problem, or is it more of an illusion of action? And that's the question I think we have to look at. And I think if we look deeper, we realize that, that the military options on the table now don't do anything to effectively resolve the underlying causes of the problem in Syria. No, they don't. What would address the underlying causes, in your opinion? I think the underlying causes of Syria in the Middle East are part of the underlying causes confronting all of humanity right now, and if we don't, it would take a while to explain all of those, but but I think that even what we see in the Middle East now is a symptom of something deeper affecting the entire human race that we have to work towards yeah. solving. Well, there's, if you just do a quick glance at history, you see the an, a, amazing rapidity of change. You know, we're in a whole new digital age now where I could do something here and they'd know about it all over the world if it was of any significance. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Have you ever felt that it's time to get out of the box? Why are you putting that project off? It's already there in your mind. What are you going to do today to change your life tomorrow? Listen for Live Your Life with Melissa Brown. Get ready to expand the capacity of your heart and mind. Move yourself beyond the mundane and get prepared to do what you've been called to do. There is no time like the present, and the whole world is waiting for you. Tune in Monday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
When you think of inspiring women, who comes to mind? Is it a visionary like Oprah Winfrey? Political or legal figures like Hillary Clinton or Sonia Sotomayor? Or how about entrepreneurial business leaders like Meg Whitman? No matter whom you might be thinking of, make sure to add one more to that list. Deanne DeMarco. She's the host of Today's Inspiring Women. Each week, Deanne turns you on to the next rising star in business and leadership and what their successes and challenges have been. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. My guest today is Paul Chappelle, and we've been talking about the art of waging peace. Uh, Unfortunately, we're at the tail end of the show, and and, Paul, I could talk to you for days, I think, um, but we don't have days. So tell our listeners before before we get into anything else how they can reach you and if they want you to come and speak to their group, how do they how do they find you to invite you? I have a website, peacefulrevolution.com. Again, my website's peacefulrevolution.com, and people can t- contact me there. What are some of the things that you do? Tell us a little bit about um, the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation. Our mission is to abolish nuclear weapons and empower peace leaders. And I, I teach peace leadership courses on how to wage peace and how to effectively create peace locally and uh, on a larger scale as well. Where do you teach these courses? I teach a course at the University of San Diego at their Graduate School of Leadership and Education Sciences. And I teach, I'm teach i teaching a course in Uganda. And wow. I teach an abbreviated, I'm teaching an abbreviated course this fall in Maine and in Massachusetts, and one probably in, in Texas. Are you doing any online workshops or you know, something that more people can get online and, and hear about what you do? I think the books are an effective medium for, for delivering a lot of content. And uh, the workshop, I do things that I can't do in a book, a lot of, I show a lot of video, right. and there's role-playing, a lot of interaction, and it's just, so I haven't found, I haven't done anything online yet, uh, mainly I, I try to travel, so if people live in the area, then they can come attend an event, but I, I've written several books about this, so there's a lot of content that people can get, their, get a hold of that, that, could, that could provide some guidance. Yeah, and, and, and you know we've we've talked about two of your books on this show, and they're reviewed on the blog. But if they go to Amazon.com, they can you know see your books. I think they're available on Kindle as well, aren't they? Yeah, that's aren't correct. They're both available on Kindle, so you can get them in an e version of the book, which is always nice because you can have it right away. And I would recommend that you get this book right away because this is a book that's important to 
every single one of us who are living on this planet today uh, as war continues to escalate and weapons get more and more powerful. Um, you know, and, and if what Assyria has done with, with the gases is going to, you know, come into play, we really need to be intent on learning to wage peace. And what's the one thing people today, today in our country, other countries can do to begin to wage peace? I, I think getting the information of how to go about waging peace is, is the most effective thing they can do. It's like if we were to ask a violinist, what's the one thing we can do to play the violin? They'd say practice. And yeah. Any art form, whether it's sculpting, painting, martial arts, filmmaking, the person would say practice or get the training you need. Because if you look at playing the violin or sculpting or painting, it's not just one thing you do. It's a skill set you develop. It's an art form you learn. And I think the same is true for the art of waging pieces. The books I've written drive home a lot of the information that is really the foundational knowledge of how we can start to wage peace in our lives. You know, and you can start waging peace in your family. Right, you know, exactly. There's a lot of war enacted in families these days, and this is a good place to start. In your book, you write that when a situation escalates, people need to outsmart violence. Now, this might include not telling the truth. You know, explain that. So there, that's a, a situation I talk about where waging peace has actually failed. So waging peace, I talk about the infinite shield and the sword that heals, these two components of waging peace, but sometimes you have to have other lines of defense. So a situation where you might have to lie is where people come to your house and there's a genocide in progress and you're hiding someone in your house and they say, well, are you hiding this person? Are you hiding anyone from this particular race or religion? because we want to kill them. And you might have to lie and say you're not, even though you are. Understanding what the consequences are, if you get caught lying, they might kill you too. Absolutely. And, and this happens anytime there's a genocide. This situation is going to happen. And waging peace, the reason I highlight that is waging peace depends on truth. Just as war depends upon deception, in the art of war, Sun Tzu said all war is based on deception. Waging peace is truth-telling, telling the truth that women are not intellectually and morally inferior to men, as people used to believe. The truth that black people are not subhuman. They're not born to be slaves. And we know this is a scientific fact today, looking at the human genome, that black people are not subhuman. They're born to be slaves. And so I think that lying can be a tendency that people have when they're waging peace to exaggerate and maybe distort the truth. But the only time you can do that is an imminent life-and-death situation where someone comes to your house and basically waging peace has failed. And this last resort is, is what you have to do to save someone's life. So I'm very specific about, upon how outsmarting violence works. I mentioned a book by Gavin DeBecker called The Gift of Fear and how we have many other options other than violence. That's why I talk about outsmarting violence. Even before you resort to violence, we still have other options in between waging peace and violence. Yeah, and we have to use what we have to use. Right. Yeah. I, I you know, had a chance to meet a woman named Corey Ten Boom who was in the, the camps in Germany during the Second World War and you know, her story was 
amazing, very sad, but amazing. What's the perilous arrow you talk about? So the perilous arrow is violence. Waging peace is very powerful. It's the most powerful weapon, as Gandhian King described, but doesn't work in 100% of situations. And the metaphor I used for the application of violence when all else has failed is I call it the perilous arrow. And I describe why I use that particular metaphor, which really accurately explains the hazard of using violence. And it is a hazard. What's next for you, Paul? Do you have another book in the making? Yeah, I'm working on another book called The Cosmic Ocean. Oh, well, we're going to have to have you back again when that yeah. book comes out. <laughs> what, what's, it, what's it going to be? It, it, it'll us- be out in 2015. I'm, I'm about a third of the way through, finished writing it now, but it'll be out in 20, 2015. Give us a thumbnail about what you're dealing with in this new book. I, 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 wish, I wish I could summarize it. It's got a lot of new content, though, and it, it's got... Um, my books focus a lot on human nature, and this book goes, talks a lot about the nature of the universe and reality itself. And, yeah, one of the things your book did for me is bring it down to a very everyday, personal level i understand things now about the whole conflict the racial conflict better than i've i see it clearer than i ever did and and i thought i had i thought i knew but you bring some things home to me that i had not considered before paul we're right up to the end of the show what's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today i'd like people to realize there's hope but the hope I drive is from who we are as human beings and the actions we can take and the actions that people before us have taken to make the world better. And if things had not changed, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation, you being a woman, me being part black, part Asian, growing up in Alabama. So we're living proof that things can change. And if we take peaceful action, think about the other possibilities that human beings can unlock for the future. Oh, I thank you for that thought. Next week's guest is James Cusimano. You may remember him from the 50s and 60s. He's an accomplished leader. He has had a successful career as entertainer, scientist, corporate executive, and entrepreneur. And he's going to talk about balance in the business life connection. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Paul Chappelle, saying thank you for being with us today. We hope you got a lot from the things Paul said, and you'll go about beginning to wage peace. Come back again and visit with us next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 